Feeling blue, what do you do? We got stories to see you through that time of the month, that time of the month. Need a fix? Come get your kicks. We got tales by kooky chicks that time of the month, that time of the month. Welcome to that time of the month. If you didn't know that's what this is, that's what this is. You probably don't know what that is. Um, this is a storytelling show if you don't know what that is. In this month is Boys Will Be Boys. Has anyone been to it before? How many people have been here? How many return customers do we have? Well, thanks for coming back. It's good seeing you again. I recognize most of you. Um, we've got a great lineup of people. We've got some good friends, some new friends. And uh, I'm really excited and that Melanie allowed me to host tonight. Uh, last time I did first time I ever hosted everything, so hopefully this goes a little better. We'll see. Did you sleep last time? Last time I opened, and I came up to the mic and I said, I can't believe anybody was here, like, trying to be self-deprecating, and no one It was just, like, completely silent. And I was like, oh, God, what am I doing up here? But tonight, our theme, uh, in the past, we've had themes, mental health, makeups, breakups, and match.com, and tonight, because we've got five dudes and one young lady who's coming our way with her beer and uh, I figured it would be a good theme to do boys will be boys um, I don't know how many boys do we have in the audience raise your hand I saw a woman raise her hand that's disconcerting we have had a transgender male perform on the show before that was fun um but boys will be boys. I hear that phrase all the time as a guy or, oh my God, boys are so immature. Boys, boys, boys. That's all they, you know, they just never grow up. And I used to take offense to that. I don't know if any of my guy colleagues up here have, but it was like, no, we're not. We aren't boys. Like we're, we're grownups. <laughs> and um, a couple years ago, I took a job at Victoria's Secret and because I wanted to study girls... And going into the job, I did a lot of reading about women, like studying more about their psyche. Uh, I, did, I, I read books about uh, like neurochemistry and evolutionary biology, and then I ended with the vagina monologues, which was really, it was a good read, but it was embarrassing to carry around everywhere, because it was like, here I was working at Victoria's Secret, and I was walking around with the vagina monologues, and it was, what the fuck am I doing? Um, but one of the books I read during that time, it was, it's called the, uh, the Naked Woman. And I know, boys will be boys. But um, the, the subtitle is A Study of the Female Body, which is exactly, actually, exactly what it is, um, by Desmond Morris, who's one of my favorite scientific writers. He wrote, most notably, The Naked Ape, which was like a really popular and controversial text in the 60s about kind of the evolutionary biology of human mating and anatomy. And this book is all about the female anatomy and how it evolved to what it is now and perhaps why it evolved. And I was reading it a couple of years ago and I was thinking about the immaturity thing of men and he opens the book about this and just about humans in general. And I thought it would be a good way to kind of introduce the show tonight. Um, he's talking about how humans are successful uh, one of the most successful species on the planet. He says, the magic combination of friendliness and curiosity has been made possible by an evolutionary process called neoteny, which has seen humans retain juvenile characters into adult life. Other animals are playful when they are young, but this quality when they are mature. Humans remain playful all their lives. They have deep 
Peter Pan species that never grows up. Of course, once they have become adult, they play, different, they play games by different names. They refer to it as art or research, sport or philosophy, music or poetry, travel or entertainment. Like childhood play, all these activities involve innovation, risk-taking, exploration, and creativity. And it is these activities that have made us truly human. Men and women have not followed this evolutionary trend in quite the same way. Both have gone a long way down the childlike adult path, but they have advanced at slightly different rates with certain features. Men are slightly more childlike in their behavior, while women are slightly more childlike in their anatomy. For instance, at the age of 30, men are 15 times more accident-prone than women. This is because men have retained the risk-taking element of child's play more strongly than women. Although this quality frequently gets men into trouble, it was a valuable asset back in primeval times when, in order to succeed in the hunt, men were forced to take risks. Primeval women were too valuable to risk on the hunt, but males of the tribe were expendable, so they became the specialized risk-takers. If a few of them died in the process, it did not reduce the breeding abilities of, of the small tribes, but if a few women died, then the breeding rate was immediately threatened. It is important to remember that in primeval times, there, are, there were so few of us alive on the planet that breeding rates were all important. There are more male inventors than female inventors. Risk-taking was not only physical, it was also mental. Innovation always involves risk, trying something unknown rather than relying on well-tried, trusted traditions. Women had to be cautious. In their primeval role at the very center of tribal society, with responsibility for almost everything except hunting, they could not afford to take costly mistakes. During the course of evolution, they became, a, they became better at doing several things at once. They became more fluent, uh, more fluent verbal communicators. Their sense of smell, hearing, touch, and color vision were all superior to those of males. They became better nurturers and more sensitive parents, and they became more resistant to disease. Their health as mothers was vitally important. All this added up to a difference in male and female brains, in which men retained more little boy features, and women did little girl qualities. Men became more imaginative and sometimes perverse. Women became more sensible and caring. These differences suited their roles in society. They complemented one another, and the combination spelled success. So to sum up, as the human sexes advanced down their evolutionary pathway towards greater and greater neoteny, the males behaved in a more childlike way while showing fewer physical changes, while the females developed more and more childlike physical qualities while showing fewer childlike mental qualities. So on that note, I think tonight is really a celebration of boys being boys. And I know I've got some really good stories from the guys about being guys, and I've got some, a really good story about living with a guy and what it's like to live with a guy. Um, and so when I, when I chose the theme, I thought, you know, let's celebrate it. Let's live it up. Boys will be boys. Let's do it. So I'd like to bring the first reader on stage. He's a first-time reader, Mr. Michael Bogue. Uh, he said, he told me beforehand that he moved here from Las Vegas, and he was an ex-poker dealer. He is an ex-poker dealer. So do you still do poker now? No. He sits in a cube and files TPS reports. Is that what you said? Okay. So he's still dealing with a lot, I assume. So uh, yeah, let's bring Michael up on stage. Let's give him a warm round of applause. Hello, everyone. Hello. Naked woman, there are no pictures in this book. I couldn't find any. Okay, um, sorry. The title of mine is called I'm Getting Too Old to Play Today's Video Games. So, 
without any fruit. The more time passes, the closer I get to becoming that grouchy old man who stands on the porch yelling at the damn kids to get off my lawn. Now, I'm only 46, but that's a few years beyond the magic 18 to 35 demographic that seems to be the most relevant, at least, to, at least according to the experts on Madison Avenue. The only commercials targeted to guys my age are ads for erectile dysfunction, drugs, and pain relievers. Some of the more jarring I must be getting old moments come by way of the hype surrounding the, release, the releases of the new PlayStations, Xbox, and Wii game consoles. I don't understand them. They've always been, seemed to be the latest must-have toy in all the Christmas lists every year. And the National News Services do an amazing job of reporting the consumer stampede on retailers as demand far outstrips supply. As a red state capitalist and a stock market investor, I offer a hearty congrats to the developers for the millions of dollars that they are earning for providing the latest better mousetrap to the riddle and addled minds of today's youth. On the other hand, I ask myself, what is the big deal? As far as I'm concerned, video game greatness peaked with the 2D simplicity of asteroids. <laughs> of course, having spent my formative years trying to convince my parents that that new MTV station was not a tool of the devil, Hobie shirts and Hobie shirts were absolutely not the same thing as OP, and black nylon pants with zippers all over them were the pinnacle of coolness, it's unsurprising that a person like me would have such an affinity for a game that today's kids would consider downright lame. Now, that first-generation PS3 ran about $600 retail when it came out a couple of years ago, if you were lucky to find one. But a quick glance on eBay at the time showed that some had gone for over $2,000 on the secondary market. Good grief. When I saw that, the first thing that came to mind were Gunnery Sergeant Hartman's famous words from Full Metal Jacket. You gotta be shitting me, pile. <laughs> Yeah, good luck getting the folks to spend that kind of jack back in the 80s, especially for a video game. My parents wouldn't even spring for the electronic version of Battleship for Christmas. The original was, per the original was perfectly adequate, I was told. But when it comes to spending two grand for a video game system, I'm, I'm firmly in my parents' camp. $2,000? Are you nuts? That doesn't even, clock, um, that doesn't even inclu include the cost of the actual games. Now, I don't have kids. But even if I did, I wouldn't love them that much. For, for, for 20 Benjamins, I'm sure as hell not buying a video game system, even for myself. I'd rather spend it on useful stuff, you know, like a um, box of Cuban cigars, a couple bottles of rum, another tattoo, dinner at Delmonico, maybe even a road trip to Vegas. Clearly, I've become a more responsible consumer as I've matured. <laughs> Now, for the secondary market price of a PS3 at the height of its popularity, you could have gotten almost 8,000 chances to enter your initials as one of the top 10 players on Asteroids. <laughs> and who among us has never used the temporary alias of ASS when they cracked that list? Huh? <laughs> Even the most uncoordinated buffoon could get to level 10 and beyond with that kind of investment, and no cheats would be needed. And with today's video games, you're just sitting around on your ass in the basement for days on end, becoming a social reject, or at least with Asteroids, you had some sort of human interaction involved. There were always other players around ready to challenge you, and like a saloon pool table, your quarter sitting on the line meant that you got next. <laughs> now, my favorite machine was located in La Jolla Skate Village in Harvester, Missouri, the Saturday night social center of the universe when I was in junior high. All that was needed, besides parents willing to provide transportation, were three bucks for admission and skate rental, a couple more bucks to cover pizza and Cokes, and a few quarters for the Asteroids machine, 
for when that inevitable awkward moment arrived and the lights would dim, a journey ballad would start playing, <laughs> and the DJ would make that dreaded announcement. Couple skate, couple going. <laughs> Since I never really wanted to suffer the humiliation of Pam Epperly rejecting my offer to take a few laps around the rink holding hands, I always used that couple skate time to practice making the cosmos safe from large electronic rocks and small UFOs. About that same period of my life, I remember that one day a buddy and I had made about 20 bucks apiece doing some sort of odd job. I think it was mowing a lawn or something. And then we talked his mom into dropping us off at the arcade for the afternoon. We played asteroids the whole time. Several hours later, the money was gone, and we had to endure a lecture for the entire ride home about wasting all of our money playing video games. <laughs> Telling her that we spent some of the money on a box of donuts and a couple of Cokes, so technically we didn't waste it all on video games, didn't seem to make a difference in her eyes. Damn kids, we didn't have any idea how long it took to make 20 bucks back in the 50s when she was a teenager. So Atari eventually released the home version of Asteroids to play on your TV. Well, not the TV at my house, we still had Pong. And a kid in my neighborhood was the first one to get it. Unfortunately, it was such a horrible spin-off of the arcade original that a week later it met its demise in the backyard, courtesy of a pack of firecrackers, after we'd run out of model airplanes to destroy. Even after we got our driver's licenses, going to the videocade was still a favorite after school pastime for a while. And when one of my friends actually got a job at the arcade in the mall, it was Free Game City. Sometime later, we'd stopped going to the skating rink altogether and just started hanging out at the mall, able to shop at Chess King and buy zipper pants and keyboard ties with our own money without the parental disapproval. That was over 30 years ago, and the world is changing, and it's leaving people like me behind. I've tried playing video games with my nieces, but they all seem pretty senseless. Take, for instance, the snowboarding games. Now, you don't have to do anything. The game does it all. If you don't touch a button after you've started down the hill, you're still going to get to the bottom of the hill eventually. Speaking of someone who's actually tried to make it to the bottom of a hill on a real snowboard, that's not how it works in real life. There's a little more effort involved. Now, I'm not saying there's no effort involved to become proficient with today's video games, but I'm pretty sure asteroids don't split up on their own out in space either. As technology progressed in the 80s and the popularity of asteroids started to wane, I still dabbled in a couple of the other classic video games for a few years. I was a sucker for Galaga and Tempest and was infuriated by the dif difficulty of Defender and Stargate. <laughs> yeah. Donkey Kong and Pac-Man were fun and mixed company. And although I thought Joust was pretty cool, but even then I could see the handwriting on the wall. Because it was so popular with the Dungeons and Dragons geeks, I knew that if I ever started playing that game on a regular basis, Pam Epperly would never skate with me. <laughs> Turns out she never did. She moved away to Florida before the end of the 8th grade, and I never saw her again. But once that distraction was gone, I was unbeatable. To this day... <laughs> To this day, I'm fairly certain that I own more high scores on asteroids than George Costanza had on Frogger. <laughs> Looking back, I'd gladly trade a couple of those top ten scores for a few laps around the darkened uh, rink, holding hands with my eighth grade crush and listening to Who's Crying Now. Who knows what could have happened? I'm sure she's an uber milf now, tan, toned, and rocking the minivan. <laughs> Probably telling her kids to turn off the Xbox and go outside and play. I hope they take her advice, for I discovered far too late that there are much better ways to score than just with video games. <laughs>
Michael Bowe. I love doing that. And by the way, there are pictures in here, but they're like this. I don't know if you can see them, but it's like their ears and eyes and stuff. It's very strange. Um, when he told me, I thought he was going to do a different story. He's a, he's a pretty prolific writer. He, he sent us several stories for this show. And I thought he was going to do a different one. And then he came in tonight and said, no, I'm doing the one about asteroids. And I thought, the thing's in space? Like, what are you doing like, with real asteroids? But now, I, now it comes back to me that it's a video game. Okay. Um, anyways. The next guy has probably, you've been to probably every show that we've had, right? Almost every show that we've had, he's been to. Oh, speak of Journey. There we go. <laughs> Pam, is that you? <laughs> it's just your nightmare. Yeah. It's like in Dumb and Dumber. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> oh, she's married. She's, she's sorry. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Um, anyways, I was about to get really sweet and talk about Bob and how great of a, a patron he is of our show. But he's been here for everything except one. He, When I read the first time over a year ago, he came up to me and uh, just gave me the best compliment, one of the best compliments I've ever got, and it really continued to push me along to do what I'm doing. So I'm so happy to have him on stage tonight. Uh, please give a warm welcome to Mr. Bob Clark. Okay, Chris, thank you. No, I, I'm going to hold instead. I hate to complain after that nice introduction, but you said everybody would be high on laughing gas by the time I had to read. Where's all the equipment? Okay, I want to make a uh, brief artist statement because my story is a little bit different and I don't exactly come off that great in my story. Um, <laughs> This is not exactly a conventional story. I mean, don't worry, it's a perfectly good story. But it's, uh, it's a story about my experience with Facebook and my impressions of it. And all the quoted posts are genuine. You know, ask, ask Melanie about quotations and me. They're real quotes. <laughs> yeah. And um, so in that sense, it's a true story. But I think I somehow ended up as sort of a in some ways a character of myself, or at least I hope so. I hope I'm not exactly like I come across here. Okay, let's go. <laughs> I was wasting time on computers when the only option was solitaire. All the other programs were productive. We didn't even have free cell and Minesweeper yet, or asteroids. Now Facebook dominates our time in the, on the computer, right? A recent study found that social network users spend more than three hours per day on them. Wow. I'm above average. <laughs> it's projected that, in, that by 2020 there will be more Facebook accounts than there are particles in the universe. Yeah, I know that's, that sounds impossible. I think it involves quantum computers. Okay, I'm a boring guy, there's no doubt about that, so it's not too surprising that my Facebook friends are boring too. 
Now, don't get me wrong, they're nice people, but my gosh, some of the things they post to their timelines. Consider this classic post from last December. Just put up the Christmas tree, and I am now wrapping presents. <laughs> hey, Demetria Kaladimus, I have a story for the scene at 10. I've got this Facebook friend who, get this, just put up his Christmas tree. Wait, Demetria, there's more. Now she's wrapping presents. I think I said he is supposed to be she. Now she's wrapping presents. What? You're gonna break in the, you're not gonna wait until ten? You're gonna break into law and order? Good call. I know, they're my friends. I'm supposed to be happy about I'm supposed to get into the little milestones and uh, events in their lives. I get that. The present rapper made that exact point when she replied to my comment, telling her she'd do us all a favor if she'd keep that stupid trivial shit to herself. <laughs> but it's not always painfully boring. Sometimes it's just painful. Like when I requested a friendship from a chick I knew casually, and she turned me down. She had 3,162 friends. But mostly it's just boring. Like this post. Biscuit from Hardy's this morning? Maybe. <laughs> now come on, Facebook buddy. We've known each other a long time. Whatever led you to believe I would care about your breakfast musings? It could be argued quite persuasively in my view that it's an exercise in narcissism to imagine that anybody does. Yeah, I know, I'm a grumpy guy. You might be too if you, knew, if you knew someone, but you couldn't crack into their top 3,162 friends. I'm surprised I had the balls to post this to my Facebook page. I see a few of my friends out there. Please don't unfriend me. Please, I'm serious. There are only 11 of you left. Doesn't this story prove I still read your stuff? Can't you see I'm laughing with you? Come on, my birthday's coming up and I'll be crushed if I don't get your heartfelt and punctual greetings. <laughs> now that I'm writing about Facebook, I don't feel so bad about all the time I spend on it. It's called research. <laughs> but that doesn't ease the pain. Not long ago, a close-up image of a dry, cracked heel appeared on my news feed. Yeah, the heel of a foot. It grossed me out, and I have a strong stomach. And I had this long-ass home remedy for moisturizing and curing the cracked heel. It was more than a full screen of tiny text. All I can remember is it involved Listerine and shaving cream. That's no shit. It had 10,077 likes. Hmm, let's do the math. An illustrated remedy for cracked heels is nearly a thousand times more popular than I am. Don't you know that did wonders for my self-esteem? Not to mention my grumpiness issues. And it didn't even work. My heels are still as dry and flaky as ever. 
Even worse than the medical advice from my Facebook friends are their attempts to enlighten me with their religious and philosophical wisdom. That really pisses me off. Like this one. The devil doesn't, the devil doesn't care how many church buildings men construct as long as they're filled with lukewarm preachers and people. Yeah, and he's probably not too upset to see you spending so much time on Facebook that you couldn't possibly be reading the Bible. <laughs> what? I know she spends a lot of time on Facebook. I do the research. <laughs> then the next day, I just finished day 74 of the chronological Bible reading uh, <laughs> plan from at version. I stand corrected. Praise be. <laughs> now here comes some words to live by, courtesy of a great Facebook philosopher. Until further notice, celebrate everything. <laughs> Who knew that the secret of happiness was so simple? Why didn't anyone tell me this shit when I was a kid? My life could have been so much better. <laughs> At least until further notice. <laughs> of course, a quick and easy way to enlighten friends is by liking stuff, right? But I never bought into the idea that I should like that I should drink Pepsi because Britney Spears and Michael Jackson's vouch for it. So what makes you think? <laughs> Sorry, I can't see. So what makes you think uh, you can influence my buying habits, Facebook pal? If you had that kind of if you had that kind of pool, I would have run down to Hardee's for a breakfast biscuit a long time ago. <laughs> Yeah, I know, I'm grumpy. You know why. Can I help it if no one told me to celebrate everything until further notice during my formative years? It's not my fault. One of my Facebook friends liked Walmart the other day. Now, I know Facebook's designed to make us feel extra special and that we matter, but come on. Is that really the way to do it? Walmart's been dominating the retail sales market since before Mark Zuckerberg was born. Do you really think it means anything for you to like it? I bet you think your vote counts in elections, too. <laughs> Hello, this is Bob. Is this my stockbroker? Yes, this is an emergency. I need you to buy 10,000 shares of Walmart. No, make it 100,000 shares of Walmart. Bet the fucking farm on Walmart. Do you hear me? The farm. Why? My friend Joey liked it on Facebook. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm expecting a financial tsunami tomorrow. <laughs> Here's some more enlightenment from one of my Facebook gurus. If your dreams don't scare you, they're not big enough. <laughs> that one actually inspired me to dare to dream. That someday I'd have the willpower to delete my Facebook account. <laughs> that is scary. But that's exactly what my cousin did. This is a true story. He's been a professional computer guy his whole career. Over a year ago, out of the blue, he sent a message to all his Facebook friends. He said he was going to simplify his life by removing his Facebook account. He was my hero, that big dreamer. Until he reactivated five months later. Now he posts more shit than ever. Making up for lost time, I guess. It reminds me of something I once read. Abandon hope, all ye who enter here. 
Then you have your Facebook games. I'm proud to say that at least I haven't stooped that low yet. But thanks to the magic of Facebook, the games waste my time anyway. Progress for all. Rodney has just been rewarded for getting 40 medals in Zanga Slingo. Come share the rewards. I actually had to unfriend that guy. I would have had 12 friends. Just getting so many of those. I don't even know what Zanga Slingo is, but I have a theory that it was the original basis for the expression, what the fuck? <laughs> Zanga Slingo? What the fuck? See what I mean? But maybe I'm, doing, I'm being too hard on internet games. One of my friends posted on her timeline about her daughter playing the free rice game. She asked me just last night, if God, gave you, give, if God gives you everything you want, then why doesn't He give food to kids in Africa? And I kind of botched that up. Why doesn't He give kids in Africa food? We want to get the quotes right, Melanie. <laughs> there you go. Internet games. Internet games cause children to contemplate the deep religious and philosophical paradoxes <laughs> while helping end world hunger. That's right. I did a little research. You see, it is research. It is. And I discovered that in the free rice game, every correct answer gets 10 free grains of rice donated to the United Nations World Food Program to end hunger. Promoting critical reasoning skills in our youth? Making a dent in world hunger? If you can't beat them, join them. So before I came here today, I posted the following to my timeline. This morning, I couldn't decide between Captain Crunch with Crunch Berries and Eggo Waffles. FYI, I had the waffles. Blueberry. What about tomorrow, guys? Breakfast bar or scrambled eggs? Vote now and I'll eat whatever you guys pick. <laughs> Share this if you grew up in the 70s and you still think breakfast is the most important meal of the day. We turned out okay, didn't we? Oh, one more thing, and this is important. Last week, someone asked the Dalai Lama if he could just give one piece of advice to humanity. What would it be? You know what he said? Don't be grumpy, be happy. Thank you. Bob Clark, one more time. Hey, Bob, how was that? <laughs> Performing. This is your first time on the other side. It was great? He was great. Okay. I, I, um, watching you read, I felt like it was if the grumpy cat had been personified <laughs> and was talking about Facebook. Like, can I pay you to read my, my newsfeed? I would love to. Like, the, the way you say things about the newsfeed just is, that's what did it for me. That first one. <laughs> well, next up, we have the lovely Renee Diab. She calls herself the Opinionista, and she writes a blog called Think and Ponder, where she mostly writes about topics that routinely fall under the category of weird shit you can't make up. 
She likes to use swear words as much as possible, nap every time, and nap at every opportunity, and waste copious amount of time on the internet. She is currently in a 12-step program to wean herself from Candy Crush. I haven't played that game yet, thank God. Her husband has declared himself off-limits in her writing, but what he doesn't know won't hurt him. Without him, this story wouldn't exist. Let's bring Miss Renee Diab to the stage. <laughs> okay, I'm going to see if I can get enough light to see here. All right. Well, thank you for being here. I uh, wrote this story. It's titled Men, just kind of in general, and it leads into the one I've got. And uh, now that I'm here, I feel kind of bad about it. So I'd like to apologize in advance to all the men on the stage, as well as the men in the audience, and my husband who's not here because he's mad about the story. <laughs> and I'm just kidding, sort of. Uh, men. Um, excuse me. Men. Do you remember that old nursery rhyme about girls being made of sugar and spice and everything nice while boys are made of slugs and snails and puppy dog tails? Well, it is far, far worse than that catchy little verse suggests. Boys are actually made of burp, burps and farts and whatever it is they are constantly digging after in their shorts. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that a man will start digging in the nether region of his underwear for no apparent reason? My husband assures me that he is only adjusting his balls. Though it looks like there is some furry rodent down there that he's trying to catch. I didn't grow up around boys, no brothers or cousins or even the proverbial boy next door. I had no idea that as an adult, once I began sharing my bathroom with a full-grown man, that it would look like a truck stop where the janitorial staff has been on strike for six months. After moving in with the man, who is now my husband, I instantly understood why all the women on House Hunters were desperate to find double vanity sinks in the master bath. It wasn't just that the lid and base of the toilet were constantly spattered with yellow dried plops of pee and the room smelled like a litter box, but alarmingly, a strange green fungus began growing in the sink. It was like something out of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I never could figure out why I alone did not have these barnacles growing in my sink and can only explain it now by imagining that my germs could not procreate by themselves, but once he started spitting in the sink too, my germs married his germs and made mold babies. <laughs> Speaking of spitting, men do that a lot. Women do not do this. When was the last time you were walking down the street, minding your own business, and a soccer mom turned her head and hawked one out on the sidewalk? <laughs> I can be walking on any given day, minding my own business, some normal-looking dude just standing there, and boom, out comes a big old glob of mucus, shooting across my pathway by some stranger who felt the need to lob one out, regardless of who was within hitting distance. Can you imagine a woman doing this? especially in the presence of a man, a stranger, even a stranger that she never expects to see again. Chances are she isn't going to be comfortable just casually projectile vomiting some genetic material out of her body like the little girl from The Exorcist. And then there is the big one, farting. 
My husband, I kid you not, did not pass gas the entire three years we were dating, engaged, and living together. I often ask him what the secret was and beg him to do it again. Though sometimes I fear that I am now paying the price for that three-year reprieve as everything that was bottled up during that time is constantly leaking out far more toxic than it would have been in the first place. We have been married almost 12 years and rarely a day goes by that I don't have to don my souvenir World War II gas mask to survive the evening. He eats exactly the same thing that I eat at dinner, yet at bedtime the digestive process can actually levitate him off the bed. <laughs> And the smell. True story. Five years ago, when our daughter was three years old, both of us had to use the bathroom at a furniture store in upstate New York. I knew that my situation was not as urgent as his, but when the ladies' room became available first, he offered to hold our daughter while I went. I thought he meant he was forgoing his own need until I returned. Two minutes later, I come back out to find that my husband and daughter have disappeared. Oh, my God. Surely he didn't. A few minutes later, just as I was about to panic, out comes my husband from the men's room with our child thrown over his shoulder like a sack of potatoes. And I looked at her face. Her hand was over her mouth. Her eyes were wide and darting about in panic. And literally tears were streaming down her cheeks as she sobbed out to me, Daddy stinks. When it is potent enough, to make your girl literally cry. That is when you need to ask yourself if you need to see someone professionally for a colon cleansing or perhaps just a cork for your ass. <laughs> Another time after that, my daughter and I were driving down the road and passed through the unmistakable smell of roadkill skunk. From the back seat, I hear this tiny voice say, I smell daddy. <laughs> she wasn't making a joke. She genuinely believed that the dead skunk she smelled was her father. As women, we simply do not make these noises and smells. We have nothing caught in our throat the size of a golf ball that must be periodically hurled out of our bodies at random intervals. We have nothing hanging south of our waistband that needs constant adjusting, thank God. And I think I have finally uncovered definitive proof of evolution for all the naysayers out there who think humankind sprang from magic in a rib, my husband. Men grow hair everywhere but their heads, their nose, their ears, their legs and feet. Take my husband, for example. He has a severely thinning head and a pretty hairless chest, but below the waist he looks like a chimpanzee. <laughs> now, now you know why he's angry. <laughs> His legs look like Madonna's armpits from the 80s. It's like his torso evolved, but his legs got trapped in an evolutionary time warp. I guess I should feel lucky that his body didn't get stuck back any further than monkeys. I mean, he could still have gills or webbed feet. Should he accidentally fall into the gorilla enclosure at the zoo, I'm sure he will completely assimilate and start up housekeeping with some cheeky female gorilla, and they will make beautiful children together. And his foot grooming, men, they are called pedicures. Get one. He has these hard, scrabbled toes with jagged nails that look like he's been scrambling over boulders and squatting all day looking for a mastodon to bring down for dinner. I do have to admit that he cleans up well and looks full human in clothes. 
a little nose and ear hair trimming, some deodorant and a pair of pants, and he looks downright human. Thankfully, people have discovered clothes along the way so that men can cover up the evidence of their monkey past. Despite the fact that men are usually pretty gross, made of things far worse than slugs, snails, and puppy dog tails, we ladies still love them. Women full of sugar and spice and everything nice are filled with eternal optimism that we can clean them up, sprint some cologne on them, and take them out in public. We ignore their feet, hold our noses, and try not to think about what the bathroom looks like while we're eating. We have to, or the human race would die out and the zombie apocalypse would begin. One more time for Renee, please. That was great. Um, I think it's funny that you talk about flatulence uh, because I, I can't imagine he didn't do it for three years. Like that, that's like first date for me. Like I can't. I, I've got to do it. Like because if you're not going to be okay with that, then we're not going to be okay. And it's like, I've dated girls who have said, uh, oh, I never do that. Like, I've never done that. And by like the third month, they are right along with me. Like, just <laughs> blowing it out. <clears throat> so, yeah, it does, you know. Yeah, we are kind of gross. But I, I do know a few gross women around. Well, I'm going to go next, I guess. I wanted to follow up Renee's because I knew hers was talking about bodily functions, which kind of walks nicely into my story. <clears throat> I was a Boy Scout, I'm an Eagle Scout, um, and so this is kind of about, well it's not kind of, it is about Boy Scout camp and Boy Scouts. It's called, On My Honor, I Will Do My Duty. <laughs> it was June 2001, and my family and I were in Boston to see a friend star alongside Tom Selleck in the revival of A Thousand Clowns. We decided to make a day of it, touring the city and continually asking my mother what she was going to do when she finally met Magnum P.I. <laughs> She's not the type to get flustered around famous people, but it was obvious that the anticipation of standing before his mustache was getting to her. <laughs> what do I say to him, she said. What am I going to say? What do you say to a man like that? I laughed, thinking she was being dramatic, only to find myself asking the same questions 11 years later, just prior to meeting David Sedaris. To take her mind off things, we did some shopping, walking up Newberry Street before making our way over to Tremont, where, right in the heart of the theater district, there was a store called Jack's Joke Shop. I'd heard about the place for years, mainly from my friend Ben, who'd gone there with his parents and returned home with dollar snatchers, snapping gum, hand buzzers, and an assortment of items that either produced farting noises or produced farting sounds. Not that he needed help with any of that. From then on, I was determined to get there. Like peeing in the woods or drawing a face on my butt cheeks, pranking was one of my favorite pastimes. And if somewhere there was a business dedicated to its pursuit, it deserved my financial support. <laughs> we found it in a little storefront across the street from a theater. Were it not for the large sign or the masks and gags inhabiting the front window, it would look like any other urban convenience store where you might buy your cigarettes. Walking in changed everything, though. Masks and wigs hung from the ceiling, and almost every square inch of the shop was covered in packaged pranks. They seemed to egg you on from behind their cellophane. Come on, try me, they yelled. I dare ya! I walked around for ten minutes, playing with things here and there, but not really finding anything I wanted to spend my money on. 
In fact, I was about to leave when I noticed a small basket next to the register with a sign that read, Fake Human Turds, $3. I was intrigued. I'd had fake dog poop and had seen fake cat poop in magazine ads, but never had I come across the fake human kind. This was a whole new game. About five or six inches long, each piece was made of a hard, rough plastic and finished with a nice shellac to give it that just-manufactured look. In your hand, it was obvious it wasn't real, but when you put it on the floor a few feet away or so, it could fool even the most decorated of scatologists. I had to have one. I decided upon a slight S-shaped piece, as to me it looked the most guilty. There were also straight and curved pieces, but if I was going to use this to prank people and put it in places that no normal, strong-boweled person would defecate, it needed to have a story. Perhaps the suspect, who we'll call the Mad Crapper, was in the library, squatting next to the Steinbeck section, because he'd been forced to read The Grapes of Wrath during summer vacation. I hate Steinbeck. And for no rational reason, I just, I hate him. Mid-movement, he hears footsteps and turns to look, which causes him to pivot his buttocks. This, in turn, alters the course of, well, everything, leaving the product to abandon its preordained form and assume a, this lane ends in 500 feet shape. I played this story out every which way. The bum in the alley, the desperate jogger, the disgruntled employee at the candy bar factory, until I concluded it would work in almost any situation. Completely sold, I handed the cashier my money and walked out into the world, ready to have some fun. When we arrived at the theater that evening, I pulled the turd from my pocket and showed it to Ben, as well as my other best friend, Jared. Our resolve was almost immediate. Place it in the aisle for some unsuspecting audience members to stumble upon, then watch as they recoil in horror. What we failed to anticipate was the plausibility factor. Yes, truth is often stranger than fiction, but when you're dealing in the realm of feces, there is a threshold of believability, especially when three 14-year-old boys are eagerly staring at you as you walk towards a brown object lying on the floor. Within two minutes, we moved on to plan B, put it in a bathroom stall, and wait. Ben took the lead on this one, walking into a stall and sitting down. We weren't exactly sure what he was going to do, but we knew that no matter what, it was going to be good. When an older gentleman entered the stall next to him, we held our breath in eager anticipation. <laughs> ben groaned. <laughs> he then let out a large farting sound, and the turd dropped on the floor. <laughs> this was a freshman mistake. How he'd forgotten that the object in his hand was crafted out of our hard plastic, I'll never know, but it bounced loudly across the floor like a child's toy in church. The gentleman in the stall laughed, then he reached down and picked it up. This is pretty good, he said, seated on the toilet. Where did you get this? We didn't achieve success for another two days until we were lounging on the beach on Newfound Lake in New Hampshire. We left the turd right next to a dock, about 20 yards off from where we were seated, when an old man spotted it. Barb! Hey, Barb! He yelled. What? said his wife, responding. That son of a bitch Great Dane's been down here again. Took a shit right next to the dock. What? she said. You gotta be kidding me. 
No, he said. The nerve of those people. Look at the size of this thing. Giddy with joy, we could hardly contain ourselves. I still have bruises from the ribbing I received. Oh my God, Barb said, finally seeing. What the hell are they feeding that thing? I don't know, but you can be sure as hell they'll be hearing about this. That son of a bitch. If I told him once, I told him price. Bring a friggin' bag and pick up after your horse, goddammit. People don't wear shoes down here. You might as well feed me a goddamn ringworm. The pranking essentially stopped there, as Ben's dad foresaw the trouble we might cause and explained to the guy that he was looking, what he was looking at was merely a gag. In fact, the turd didn't do much of anything the next two weeks. Life works in seasons that way. Marked periods of rest usually anticipate marked periods of activity, and that's exactly what was coming down the line in the form of Boy Scout camp. If most other areas in life had a threshold of plausibility when it came to feces, Boy Scout camp did not. There, like Kevin Garnett would later say, anything is possible. Spend time around boys under the age of 18, and you'll find they are generally obsessed with one of two things, blowing shit up, and all matters concerning defecation. Poop, things that look like poop, things that smell like poop, places you can poop, places you shouldn't poop, places you shouldn't poop but are now determined as hell to do so. All of this becomes amplified when you place prepubescent and pubescent boys in groups, rank, in groups of rank and order. Socially, you might be an outcast amongst boys, but with one swoop of a poop, you can finally, you can find yourself the hero of them all. And that's exactly where I found myself. I packed the turd in my trunk thinking it would be a lot of fun to put in the showers or near the trading post, pranks that I can enjoy on my own or in the company of a few boys, but little did I know the power it would earn me. My troop, Troop 1 Hope Valley, consisted mostly of boys older at the time. We were about 30 strong, and if I was to aptly describe us as a group within the Boy Scout organization, it would be in physics terms. We were the antimatter of Boy Scouts. Somewhere there existed a model of what it meant to be a scout, and we were the ex exact antithesis to it. Loud, obnoxious, and rebellious, we were the troop from hell. When other troops would march around camp in formation and to normal tunes, we would lumber around it, making fun of people and singing, We are the best. Who are we? We're the troop from Hope Valley. When in doubt, whip it out. Make the ladies scream and shout. <laughs> Sound off. When other troops would go to the waterfront to swim and play basketball, we would go to see how many of us could get kicked out in 30 seconds. When other troops would fish off the dam near our campsite, trying to enjoy the afternoon or earn their fishing merit badges, we would fire water balloons at them with a launcher that could reach 150 yards when loaded correctly. We shot these at sailboats and kayakers as well, sometimes causing them to capsize. This was at least always the goal. We didn't take part of all the dining hall cheers, we didn't tuck in our uniforms, and we most certainly did not attend the Saturday night show, which, is a, which was a collection of hackneyed skits we'd seen since the time of being Cub Scouts. The one time we did go, though, we made sure to consume enough beans to audibly fart during the entire performance, which we proceeded to do. It's no surprise, then, that the majority of camp hated us. From leaders to counselors to attendees, we drew looks that only Hitler might were he to walk into a bris. We were a far cry from the... <laughs> Sorry. 
Russell, are you offended by that? Russell's Jewish. Are you okay? Okay, just make sure. We were a far cry from the troop we were in the 30s, the one that left school to help fight the fire raging through camp at the time. For that, we were rewarded the best campsite on the property, one that, for its picturesqueness, we would later, uh, would later be used in Wes Anderson's Moonrise Kingdom, and one that, due to our obsession with fireworks, we now threaten to burn down every night. <laughs> Amongst this group, I was somewhat of an outcast, young, nerdy, and quiet. I tended to stay towards the back of the pack, but as the technology boom has showed us over the past 50 years, every geek has his way of standing out. Bill Gates had Microsoft, Mark Zuckerberg had Facebook, and I had a fake human turd. <laughs> I don't remember how they found out about it. I probably flaunted it in their face, but once they did, I was in. We proceeded to leave that thing everywhere. The trading post, the ropes course, the rifle range. My favorite moment came during a pickup game of volleyball. Next to the court ran one of the few roads that crisscrossed the camp. Troops would often march by, hooping and hollering, and trying to appear like they embodied the definition of scouting better than anyone else. That day, we put the turd in the road. At first, a few campers walked by and audibly expressed their disgust. Aw, oh, gross, they yelled, half disgusted and half awed. Then came the marching troop. Knowing full well what was coming for them, a calm seemed to, to descend upon the earth. I've tried for years to describe the looks that beset our faces that afternoon, and the best thing that I can come up with is from a Zora Neale Hurston novel. Their eyes were watching God, it was called, and so were ours. <laughs> the scene that ensued was a modern take on the pool scene in Caddyshack. As they came upon it, shouts of, Holy shit, watch out! erupted from the ranks. The troop broke formation and scattered as more and more of them stumbled to avoid it. What was left was the mere shell of control, a hollow remnant of organization and ego trying to assert order in, in the universe. To this day, I've never seen something more, seen something more beautiful. <laughs> we continued to prank people with it around camp, like a troop of mischievous players building up to the final act. This fittingly came near the end of the week, during the annual bake-off. Oh. <laughs> Like the rest of camp activities, our troop normally ignored this, thinking it a waste of valuable time to bake a pie in a Dutch oven. When we did partake, we merely drove into town and bought something from the grocery store, pawning it off as our own. And that week was no different. We didn't plan on entering anything until someone came charging into my tent out of breath. Where is the turd? He asked. In my trunk, I responded. Why? We need it for the bake contest, he said. We got a vanilla cake from Stop It Shop and some chocolate syrup, and we want to put the turd on top of the cake, drizzle some syrup on it, add a sprig of toilet paper, and call it the latrine cake. What do you think? <laughs> Without saying a word, I opened my trunk, pulled it out, and handed it to him. Thanks, he said. This is going to be great. I told him I agreed. I wasn't present for the judging that afternoon, but apparently the cake was disqualified almost instantaneously. <laughs> It was then removed from the dining hall and brought to it the head of camp, who called for my scoutmaster to have a chat. I'm not sure exactly what was said, but according to him, we were nearly kicked out. They'd had enough of our shenanigans, and we were, and were ready to see us go. Yet, in the end, for some reason, they let us stay. After that, I never saw the turd again. Rumor had it it stayed in the office the rest of the summer, and that the staff had a lot of fun with it. <laughs> a thought that still irks me to this day. A few years later, I attempted to move on, going back to Jack's joke shop and buying another, but it was never the same, the fecal equivalent of a rebound. 
I eventually gave it away to a friend at school who did God knows what with it, and then I moved to Tennessee. I still think of it from time to time when I'm visiting Boston or shopping in a grocery store and scanning the bakery, walk by a vanilla cake drizzled with chocolate. Thank you. I'm always winded after reading. It's like I don't, I don't breathe while I'm doing it. Just, just kind of just go with it. Mm. Um, anyways, our next performer is another gentleman that I met at Zany's. He is a comedian, a musician, an actor. I mean, you put him on stage, he can do anything that you want him to. Um, do you do balloon animals? You do? No, okay, no, he doesn't do balloon animals, but that would have been... You can at least do a dog. I can do a dog. Uh, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Wiener dog, that would work. Anyways, I'm very excited to get him up here. He told this story at Zany's uh, a couple months ago, and it was great. Oh, hello. Is that, who was it? Did you have to get that? Who was that? Was it you? Son of a bitch. <laughs> oh, sure, blame it on the husband. It's always our fault. I know. His girlfriend's calling. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> Gary Jenkins, everybody. <laughs> Woohoo! Thank you. How about this guy right here? Give him a big hand, everybody. Man. Chris, thanks for having me out. And Melanie over there, uh, you guys. Um, wow, she's amazing. These two do the show. They're great. And. I just uh, so excited to meet you guys, and thank you for letting me come out. And um, I'm going to do my story. Give me a second here. <laughs> wow, we. The name of my story is the girl who gave me herpes. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah, Pam Epperson. No, no. <laughs> I, I want to, my quick disclaimer, I've told this story a few times, in the, and then Chris required me to write this, and, and I have discovered that writing's hard, you know what I mean? And I meant to work on it more, but I was kidnapped three weeks ago, I kid you not, and I've just escaped, so thank you, I'm here, and I bought these clothes at a convenience store, but it's good to be free. I'm going to read my story. All right. The name of my story is Her House. <clears throat> she was wearing a bikini top, bikini bottoms, a see-through sarong, and high heels. I was sold. She was tall, a tad gangly, and had a little girl voice that when she was drinking would grow louder and louder like a police siren. <clears throat> Walking through a hotel lobby. Where are we going? I want another drink. Let's party. It was alarming. Like an alarm alarming. It would grow louder and louder to freakish volumes that the human voice should not be able to create. In a restaurant, while exposing her breast, 
porno. <laughs> Did I mention she had a perfect waist, a great stomach, and a belly button piercing? Well, she did. And like I say, I was sold. Also, she was sweet, talented, and seemed to be absolutely carefree with a childlike, childlike passion for life. She was fun. She was a gal singer, chick singer, no slam intended. That's what most of them call themselves. <clears throat> I was 38 years old and coming off a multi-year relationship with someone even more uptight than me who I had the pleasure of accompanying to three relationship counselors for which I paid, both monetarily and emotionally. Gal Singer Girl was 10 years younger than me and surprise, blonde. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, think fun girls from Mount Pilot. Andy Griffith reference, thank you. But way cuter and with a different type of sometimes annoying voice. I had hired her to sing at beach night with my cover band at a resort hotel, which means I had cobbled together other musicians whose dreams were slipping over the horizon. <laughs> we had put on flowered shirts, sandals, and khaki shorts, and excreted unrehearsed versions of any songs we knew that could be associated in any way with the beach. <clears throat> this happened at elevator speaker volume for tourists and their kids. Yes, dreams do come true. <laughs> I had, because of my fundamentalist upbringing, codependency issues, abandonment issues, and a variety of shortcomings, spent my life going from extreme to extreme. From overachieving workaholic, hyper-committed to horrible relationships, teetotaler, a lot I know, to absolutely anything goes, I'm ready to lick the gas cap. Free-loving hedonist. <clears throat> Is it hedonist or hedonist? Hedonist, okay. I had the moral resume of a televangelist. <clears throat> it's really long, I'm sorry, man. Stay with me. Okay. In AA... Not that I know anything about that. <laughs> they say not to allow yourself to get too lonely, tired, or hungry. Well, this particular evening, I did all three of those things. I had been awake for two days and had barely eaten. I'm not sure why, but I'm sure it involved another borderline, humiliating, soul-sucking gig where there were costumes or suits involved. Ferns on the stage and a pre-planned podium move before we kicked it up to 10, which was really 3.5. <laughs> oh yeah, I was lonely too. Death row lonely. <laughs> yep. She, the band, and I pounded through the gig, covering clashing chords, missed endings, and forgotten lyrics with theme park smiles and subtle cues. When it was all over, she and I went to the overpriced hotel bar and started drinking. It was big laughs, and like I said before, I was sold. Thankfully, it was a short drive to her house. We had more drinks and more drinks. And then, a few more drinks, yes. 
The enthusiasm from earlier in the evening was still there, but when showtime arrived, the performers were going through the motions. I'm lost now. Hang on a second. Okay. We did follow through, but anyone attending this late night extravaganza would have called it forgettable and wanted their money back. She had taken a sleeping pill before the act. Thanks, by the way. And when it was over, we both collapsed. Clothed only in our shamelessness. Our youngish bodies starving for rest. Confident in the fact that carefree hookups were what vibrant, exciting people did. And there were never repercussions. We had played rock and roll, kind of. Drank to excess and had no strings attached to sex. What could go wrong? This was, after all, America. Boom, boom, boom. Where am I? Boom, 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 boom. Oh, God, my head. Thirsty. Dark. Naked. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. Consciousness creeped in. Oh, yeah. Her. She was totally out. It was 6 a.m. We had gone to bed at, well... Not too long ago. Boom, 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 boom. Somebody's at the door, I said. Boom, boom, boom. What? She moaned. Thanks again, Ambien. <clears throat> boom, boom, boom. The person was hitting the door so hard that the sunlight was peeping in through the top and sides of the door. I started looking for my clothes. <laughs> Do you know who it is, I say. It's probably Scott, she said. Which one is Scott? She had told me about a few. He's the karate teacher. I found my underwear. I interrogated her and found out Scott was a diagnosed sociopath who had just gotten out of prison. His family was afraid of him. He washed cars at the Toyota place. And this gal felt sorry for him. I pulled on my khaki shorts, buttoned my flowered shirt, and buckled my sandals. One notch tighter than normal. <laughs> what was Scott in prison for? Assault. Of course. Why did I even ask? I was fully dressed now and oddly calm. It was amazing to see how hard Scott was pounding the door. The early morning sunlight was bursting through the cracks with every hit, as if Jesus himself were on the porch. <laughs> Glowing from head to toe, demanding entry so that he could come and bring judgment on me. The flimsy dam I had constructed of alcohol, constant motion, and denial gave way, and the river of Church of Christ guilt 
and self-loathing behind it came roaring over me. It was primal from my childhood. Well, Gary, you deserve this. This is what you get. You've gotten away with quite a lot, but not today, sir. Today is judgment day. Call the police, I said. They're going to have to come anyway, eventually. <laughs> this is all true. <laughs> I made my way through the tiny hall and had halfway serious thoughts about arming myself. There was a porcelain statue she'd won for God knows what. I don't know. Hmm, I could smash him with that. I thought about the kitchen. I'm sure there were knives in there. I was operating on instinct. What was coming was inevitable and was going to happen in any second. I pulled a wooden chair into the middle of the room to the left of the foyer. I removed my state-of-the-art Palm Trio phone <laughs> and my watch and placed them on the table. No need to break the phone. He was still pounding on the door. Did you call the cops, I said. I'm going to call him, she said, on his cell phone. What are you doing, I heard her say. What are you doing, I heard him say. What are you doing, I heard her say. What are you doing, I heard him say. As this went on, I started to realize that I wasn't hearing his voice from the porch but that she had opened the outside door at the back of the house and they were talking in the bedroom. <laughs> Whose truck is outside, I heard him say. My friend Gary, she said. Where is he? He said. In there, she said. <laughs> Thanks again, dear lady. <clears throat> Apparently, Scott was eager to meet me. He took a few quick steps and rounded the corner. Luckily for me, he stopped at the door, approximately eight feet from me. What he saw was a hungover 38-year-old man with thinning hair, 15 pounds overweight who had been up for three days and was sitting calmly, arms resting on the arms of the chair, dressed like he should have been at the head of a conga line. <laughs> Which, coincidentally, I had been the night before. <laughs> what I saw was an enraged young man, about 26, in excellent physical condition, with large, rough hands and sinewy arms and a short military haircut, gray t-shirt, jeans, and I'm guessing about 5% body fat. <laughs> if Scott was anything, he was succinct. He looked directly at me and said, Did you fuck her? <laughs> In a very calm, quiet voice, almost a whisper, I responded, No, Scott. I made love to her. 
That's a lie. <laughs> I had thought as I was sitting there that I might do the bit from the old Foxworthy routine where the jealous guy crashes in and I say in an exaggerated, stereotypically gay voice, What is wrong with you? I am cutting her hair. You need to calm down. Seriously. Breakfast burrito? Do you work out? Yeah. <laughs> Frankly, I really think I could have sustained this and pulled it off. However, I didn't have confidence that the gal could fulfill the supporting role. Another thought I had was to grab her and say, she's totally screwing you over, man. I will hold her. You hit her a few times and let's go to Waffle House. Chivalry lives. <laughs> what I did say was entirely unplanned and on instinct. In a calm, quiet, almost whisper of a voice, I said, I worked with her last night. She had too much to drink. I followed her home to make sure she was okay. When I got here, I realized that I too probably didn't need to drive. So I slept on the couch. Scott, I've worked with her for several months. I know her family. I'm pretty sure you and I have met. I know you are upset, and I don't blame you. I'm very sorry, and I just want to go home before anything crazy happens. Now, if this were a movie, I would have said something way cooler that let Scott know that I was eager to participate in violence that we would battle like Neanderthals for access to the fertile soil of this young lady's loins so as to propagate our genetic lines. But this was not a movie. I actually felt sorry for Scott. I could tell he cared deeply about her, and I had been where he was, in love with a woman who was in love with having a good time. She was a sweet gal, and I'm sure she had offered him friendship and maybe more. His life was in crisis. He had hung his hopes on her, and then he had found my almost new truck in front of her house, and me inside, all alcohol puffy, and dressed like a beach boy groupie. <clears throat> After my little speech, Scott said, You better get the fuck out while you still can. Now I admit, this was hard to let go. I grew up pretty redneck in the South where taking disrespect from someone is just unacceptable. I had been in a lot of fights growing up, had, had teeth broken, eyes blacked and closed, and nose busted open many times. I had done the same to others. If Scott and I had mixed it up, once he hit me and my ego flared, I would have fought him well enough to guarantee that her house would have been destroyed. He... And let's be honest, most likely me and maybe her would have been hurt pretty bad. And who knows, somebody may have been more than hurt. I want to make it clear, I did not run. <laughs> I walked quickly. <laughs> with a hurried dignity toward the door. I muttered another apology and did something I used to do when my older brother was chasing me. I locked the door on the way out. <laughs> Gave myself three more seconds it pursued. Was it wrong to leave her in a house with an enraged sociopathic karate expert? 
Yes and no. <clears throat> I thought my presence was only adding to the tension. I bravely got into my SUV, locked the doors, <laughs> only out of habit, and drove down the street. I pulled over and courageously called her on my state-of-the-art Trio smartphone to make sure she was okay. No answer. I assured her via message that if she didn't call back soon, I would call the police. It seems silly not to head on home <laughs> while waiting for her to call. It was Mother's Day. I was 38 years old. I had a career as a professional entertainer. I owned my house. I had a family and friends who loved me. And yet, I had allowed myself to get into a potentially deadly confrontation with a desperate, broken person who really had nothing to lose. I had six weeks of solid work coming up that would be the majority of my income for the year. If I got all busted up, I would have to cancel. If I ended up in jail or on the news, they would cancel me. I had risked all that and all these blessings in my life over what? Nothing. Eventually, call, she called. All was okay. She said Scott had asked her to say he was sorry. I forgive you, Scott. I saw her one more time. We talked about getting together, but never did. There are many rules, lessons, and morals regarding sex, alcohol, violence, love, trust, courage, fear, and maybe even God to be drawn from this tale. But I leave you with this one. A rule I found out later that is commonly known amongst men, but on which I somehow missed the memo. If you hook up with a girl, don't go to her house. That's my story. Thanks a lot, man. Gary Jenkins. Oh, my God. That was awesome. Pretty good writer, right? For someone who hasn't... That was pretty good. Very eloquent. Propagated the genetic pool, I think that's what you said at one point. That was really good. I was impressed. Well, that's our show, folks. But I want to thank you all for coming out tonight. It's been so much fun, and thank you. Right? We'll see you next month. What a long time. Now you heard, go spread the word. They're funny, smart, and so absurd. Happens every month. It's the neatest storyteller.